Testing, testing. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad to be here today. I have the privilege of uh, beginning a new series with you today, and our series is called All in the Family. And we tried to get Andy and Cindy to sing a song at the piano. Didn't work out. Those were the days. Thanks, Sam. All right, is that me picking up wind? It's going to be a little little fun with the, the wind, and uh, so we're going to go for it. I don't know how to prevent the wind from blowing into the mic. I don't know if you have like a little foam pad or something like that, but we'll just go with it. Alrighty. Our series is called All in the Family because recently families just seem to be under attack. I don't know, if, would you agree? Family, the family structure and the value of a family. Oh, even recently the politicians that run our federal government, they decided it's not very inclusive to call someone a mom or a dad. I'll refer to someone as a son or a daughter. It's improper to use these terms. Uh, You know, it's been this way in, like, published journals, essays, and in the colleges for a while now. Uh, You know, grandma, grandpa, that's that's inappropriate. Um, Kurt said last year in October, uh, we have a a retreat that we try to do every year. We retreated in town. It was an in-town retreat, and Kurt gave us uh, seven things that he believes about 2021, and one of them is that Satan's go-to tactic in 2021 is going to be causing division in marriages and in families in order to discourage and to destroy what God's trying to do in this community. Families are Satan's go-to tactic. A guy named uh, Robert Wagoner wrote, Ungodly philosophies are now attacking four distinct categories of the Christian family values. They are first, the sanctity of human life. Second, a lifetime commitment to marriage. And third, family authority and responsibility. And fourth, uh, family heritage. But this morning, what I want to do with you is I want to weave together a few themes, three themes in the few minutes that we have together, and these themes are God's glory and the image of God and the purposes of God for the family. I want to do that if we're going to kind of skim through uh, the story of the Bible. We're going to, in a way, survey. I like to think of it as a uh, more like skipping a rock. It's a story of redemption, and we're just going to kind of skip the rock across the the tops of several of these stories that happen throughout the Bible that help us to see that this is really a story of redemption. And that's why we're here this morning. As the people who are seeking and embracing the redemption of our of our God. So it's like skipping a rock and we're touching these the, the surface of the water in just a few areas. And now we're going to be skipping over some big big sections and ultimately just kind of like 
crystallizes as we get to the New Testament and uh, where we receive kind of our challenge for, for today, the challenge for us. So the first theme is God is passionate about His glory. What I really want to do is I want to spend some time thinking about like why, what is the, the point of all of this? All of this comes back to the heart of God and His purpose. We have to go all the way back to, to Genesis and understand why is it that He even created all these things? But we actually see, as we look at Scripture, His heart is there before He created all these things. And His glory extends back to before He created all these things. In fact, John 17 Right before he was headed back to the Father, Jesus says, he looks towards heaven and he prayed, and he, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those that you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And he goes on to say, restore to me the glory that I had in you before, the, before creation. God's glory is eternal. And I want to give you a glimpse, and we're going to look at Isaiah 6 for a second, and we're going to look at this display of God's glory in His temple. But before we get there, I'm going to look at a couple psalms, because there's some psalms, because like, where is God's glory, and what is God's glory? And we're not going to be able to dive that deep. But God's glory has been on display from eternity past, and then through like it says that He's set His glory in the heavens. I'll give you the quote. It's Psalm 63. Oh, no, Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And in Psalm 113, not only has he set it in the heavens, it says that he is exalted over all nations and he set his glory above the heavens. Is there a limit to God's glory? Not only that, God's glory is contained in the tabernacle, Psalm 63. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. His glory is not contained in the tabernacle. It's not limited by any other realm. But there is an increasing intensity where God chooses to intimately put his glory on display. And so in Isaiah 6, chapter 3, I mean, (laughs) verse 3, it says, that the seraphim were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. God's purpose, God's passion is to spread His glory and that His glory would fill the earth. It's filled the heavens, above the heavens, and it fills the earth. And here we see this scene where Isaiah is actually seeing God in the temple. So Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, and they covered their feet with two, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
the train of his robe filling the temple. And that's when Isaiah, he sees it and and he's just like brought to his end. Woe to me, I'm crying, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Oh, the glory of God is so amazing, powerful. In Habakkuk 2.14, he says, the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What if I stand this way? But what's amazing is God has not just put His glory on display above the heavens and in the heavens and His desire we see is to spread it throughout earth, but He's done something amazing uh, with humanity. God said, and we're going to look at Genesis 1 now, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground. Who's heard this story? This is the sixth day of God creating the heavens and the earth from Genesis chapter 1. Livestock, creatures move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so before I go on, I really do want to talk about the second theme of the image of God. But before I do, we just acknowledge the fact that here, Adam and Eve, humanity had access to the presence, the very presence of God. And we know from the creation story that they, they would walk in the cool of the day in the garden. Humans, Adam and Eve, they were able to enjoy the glory of God in a way that really our hearts long for. In verse 31, God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God's passion for his glory now fuels his plan to spread his glory throughout the earth. Throughout the earth that he created by investing his image into humanity. This is the second theme, the image of God. God's glory is being spread throughout the earth and humans play a big part. So the image of God, it's a a phrase found several times in the book of Genesis And it's what kind of distinguishes humankind from everything else that God had created. 
from the animal, the planet, the plant kingdoms, and it elevates humankind above all the terrestrial created things. The image of God is a theme that shows up in the New Testament, but I want to stick here for the Old Testament for a minute. So there's three passages in Genesis that talk about the image of God, and the first is Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and we just read it, that it says, so God created humankind in his image, the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And the next is in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. This is the book of generations of Adam when God created man. He made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and named the man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And then the other part that's interesting is in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. It says, whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed. I want to just do it. Alrighty, we'll see if, see if that helps. Seems like it's helping. Good job, Greg. And so it's kind of interesting. We see it mentioned three times. And the first time it says God, God is going to make man in, in his image. And then in the next time it talks, in the next verse, you also hear about, you know, Adam having a son made in, in his likeness. And you try to start to think, well, what does this mean? But is, are we in Adam's likeness? Are we in the likeness of our Father? Or are we in the likeness of God? And what's important is the third verse that it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. And whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall that person's blood be shed, for in his own image God made humankind. And so we know that all of humanity shares in this unique, awesome privilege of carrying the image of God. So there's a few observations that come from these passages. The image of God, it's the only phrase, uh, it's only applied to humans. So humanity is distinguished from the rest of creation. Humanity is in some way like God. The copy is like the original creator in some way. And there's no hint that you can kind of grow into the image or develop into the image. It's not like you have a potential image. The main requirement is that you're a human. It's not bestowed in incremental amounts. So it would seem that from the moment of conception, you carry the image of God. And humanity is made a steward and a master of creation, and the reverse is not the case. Well, what I want to do is I want to move on before we get to the new covenant where these themes of glory and the, the image of God are developed. I want to follow this third theme. I want to follow into the third theme of the family. And at this point, I'm not going to separate, separate out our temporal families, the earthly families that we have with the larger body, 
the true family of God. We're going to do that together over the next several weeks. But what I want you to do is I want you to think of uh, one of those cell phone commercials you might have seen on TV. Have you guys ever seen a commercial from a cell phone company? Good. I heard all that, that collective yes, of course. They're often bragging about their coverage. Look at this coverage area. And so you'll see this map. Inevitably, they put up a map of the United States. They put up a map of the United States, and the map of the United States will be littered with these dots. And these dots represent how strong of coverage T-Mobile has now that they've connected with Sprint, right? You're like, wow, look. And you see all these dots. But I'm wondering this. I think of this as it's almost like a, a, a bird's eye view. Like, what does God's coverage map look like? If God zoomed in to your neighborhood, is the light on in your neighborhood? Is his glory there? Is it on display in your neighborhood? We recently had the power go out. How many of you had power go out this week? Right? The power went out. All the Potential for power was still connected. As far as when I looked out in the lines, there was still potential for power, but there was no lights on. And quickly things got cold and old and started to grow mold. <laughs> and the thing about that is it, it started making me think, like, how quickly when the, the power went out, Everything started to be like to like to change, and I started thinking about what is mold, anyways. This like this decay. This decay sets in when the light turns off. When the light, the power goes out in your community, in your neighborhood. All of a sudden, the decay can so quickly set in. And I'm talking about the glory of God and how well we are imaging who God is and His glory. And I'm talking about what happens when that image, when that is is somehow turned off. Because decay and mold, it just, it just eats away at what was alive, what was once alive, and it feeds itself on what was once alive. And then the decay, it just grows, and it spreads. And that's a picture for, for where we're at as, as a people. Because what I read there is that God wanted the image of God to be bestowed on his creation, humankind, and he wanted the humans to carry forth this image into the world. And I'm like, okay, good. This is going to be fun. This is my premise. God wants to carry forth his image into the world, and he's going to use his created people to do it. He's going to use humanity to do it. And I was like, okay, this, like, yeah, let's look at this. And, I, you know, and you start reading, and you're like, wow, the first family. Which family is he going to use? He's going to use this first family, Adam and Eve, and... and well, they blow it. <laughs> they blow it, right? They blow it big time. And that's kind of crazy. And their, and their kids, you got Cain and, and Abel, and Cain kills Abel, and well, I, guess it's, I guess it's not that family. I guess it's not this group of people. 
And so we go to another, another uh, well, maybe it's Noah's family. And what's interesting about Noah's family is you get this, all of humanity, it seems like every inclination of their heart was evil, except Noah and his family. You're like, okay. Look at that decay. Well, we got Noah, and you think, okay, well, this is the family, and God's going to spread his glory through the earth, through, his, through, through this family. And, and you're like, whoa, that's a... Started off good, but as soon as the, you know, the boat lands, and he gets out, and he becomes a man of the soil, and he starts tilling his garden, and then he starts to eat and drink of it, and he gets drunk, and then some, you know, some bad stuff goes down, and his son sins against him, and uh, it's... Not that family. And then you next read you about Abram. Abram, you're like, this is this is the family. This is the family. And look at all these these glorious promises. And and in one sense, we get these these promises in, in, in Genesis twelve and the, the covenant that God establishes. But like I'm looking at his family and I'm like that's I don't know. I don't want that family either. Right? Maybe you need to read it. So now we're through Genesis chapter 15, and we're like, I was frustrated. I wanted to see it. What God stated that he intends, and I wanted to see it unfolding. I'm like, these people are all messed up. It seems like as soon as God gives this opportunity and, and he lets them begin so quick he's got to like okay forget you know he's got to he's got to end that he's got to judge that he's got to you know he's got to stop that he's like he's got to fix it correct him realign and so i was out of time at panera bread that day and i was like driving away i was like well maybe my whole premise is wrong maybe god did not want to spread his glory through the whole earth with humanity i'm like at some point my frustration came like, man, that's just how messed up we are. That's us. We're so, we've got these intentions and these promises and this potential, and we just get in the way so quickly with our own set of intentions and our own agenda. And we see with our eyes what we think looks good, just like Eve saw what was she thought was good for her. Which stirs in us this need for, for this longing for, for, this, for this... It's a longing for redemption, really. In Isaiah, well, I mean, in Jeremiah, we start to hear about it, and God's, God's communicating them. He's like, I want to restore your fortunes, and one day I will. And he starts to talk about this new covenant that he has, this new way forward in which he says that he's going to put something within us, a desire within us, the ability within us to obey and to, to enjoy his presence and to fulfill his purposes, which was for Israel to be a light to the nations. And it all goes back to the covenant that he does give to Abraham all the way through all these families and their failures 
God still... Well, it's clear that there's kind of... They kind of fall into two groups of people. His true family, those that call on him, like in chapter 5. Adam has another son named Seth, and Seth's family is known for calling on God. And we see these contrasts between families who call on God and and then the rest who, who don't worship the Lord. So we see that <laughs> it's kind of funny. So I wanted to talk about, we've talked about the glory of God, and we've talked about the image of God, and we've, we've talked about how the, the family of God was, was brought into this to be uh, the, the purveyors of that glory as it spreads through the earth. But then we see how this just wasn't working out. And that the new covenant was brought in so that this could to, 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 further, to, to further fulfill this intention. And God's heart is that he continues to fulfill this intention, to spread his glory and to be known. And it's going to involve his family, his true family, being a light for him. Being a light for him in the darkness. And so what this all does is it gives us, well, it gives us something to, to aim at. But it calls into the question, how can we really go about this? How family after family after family, and they struggle to accomplish what God had ultimately intended. And we get glimpses along the way. Abraham's faith. Israel's call to be a light to the Gentiles. And then Jeremiah talks about the new covenant. Eventually he's going to send one. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is the glory of God. So we're back to the theme of glory. And in John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You want glory? There's not only love, there's truth. It's together. That's glorious. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God said, Let the light shine out of darkness, and He made His light shine in our hearts to give us Listen to this, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And not only is Jesus the glory of God, Jesus is the image of God. In Colossians 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word after he had provided purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So God's glory is on display. It is on display, meaning it is imaged. It is on display. It is visible through Christ because he is God. But I want to go a little bit further. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. 
the God of this age, the lowercase g God, the God of this age is blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. When you look at Christ, he has come to us from the Father to show us all that the Father is, to show us his heart, full of grace and truth, full of glory. The desire to know God, to love God, to follow God, is now realized through the power of his Holy Spirit who's now empowering us to image Him and allowing us to enjoy His presence. Not only did Jesus come full of grace and truth, but He came as the Savior and He has redeemed and He's restored our fortunes and He's brought back our hearts and He's offered us forgiveness of our sins because He's paid the price, right? He's paid the price for us. And so... He shows us what it's like to glorify God while we live on earth. How marvelous it would be, how marvelous it is that He would bestow within us, within us, His glory. And 2 Corinthians 3, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into His image. So we've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back through the process of justifying, a process of attributing to us Christ's righteousness. And then here we are, being transformed, which to me means if we're still being transformed, that even though that it's sealed and it's finished in heaven, that as you live your life here on earth, you are still growing into this. Like you're not there yet. There's a growth process. God has redeemed us. Wait. 2 Corinthians 3 18, and I love this verse. It's my favorite verse. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How are we being transformed? As we are looking at Christ, we are being transformed. As we continue to look at the image of God, will be transformed into His image. And it talks about from glory to glory. Your, your translation might say, from one degree of glory to another. So I can't see, I don't look at you and I don't see, wow, glory. But you know who does? The angels and the principalities in, that, that we can't see. 
This whole thing, like this was all on display. It talks about in Ephesians, the marvel of, of, the, of the heavenly beings. Uh, and, and they're just like looking at what God has done to redeem, to buy back a people for himself. And they're amazed at it. They can see the glory, and one day it'll be revealed who we are, who we are in Him. And so we understand this by faith. Looking at what is not seen, but what is unseen, we understand that God is still transforming us to be more and more like Him. You know, Romans 12, 1 and 3, I want to read that to you guys. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I believe that we are being transformed, and I think we have to be careful of what we're being transformed by. Talks about our need to be transformed by renewing our minds. And we have to be sure that we are looking to Christ and what His way is instead of our culture and what their way is in order to define what it is we are trying to be as a people. Our purpose is set. It's for God to display His glory and for it to spread. And one day, we are going to be engulfed in His glory in the new Jerusalem. It's going to be finished, and we're going to be able to interact with the Lord face to face. In conclusion, it's all about redemption. The purpose of family was to spread throughout the earth his image, making known his glory. But which family? The first family? The second family? Noah's family? Seth's family? Abram's family? Families weren't able to carry forth his image because of their sin. And God sets about to redeem a family for himself that will carry the image of God into the whole world. The redemption is centered, of course, on Jesus, the one through whom we have redemption. This is being introduced early in the Old Testament, right after the fall, and in Jeremiah 30, promised in the New Covenant which changes our identities and empowers us to know Him and obey Him, to love Him and to trust Him. So, we're in a series now called All in the Family. And over the next eight weeks, the aim is to help our family align with the purposes of God. Our family is important. Families are important. You know, family is a good thing. Something of great value. I'm reading this now from, um, from a resource that I read this week. It's not an ultimate thing. 
Family's a good thing, something of great value, but it's not an ultimate thing. It's a means to an end. That end, that purpose, is that the glory and knowledge of the Creator would spread throughout the world. Families are the temporary means which God is bringing about that larger purpose. Families are God's way of filling the earth with those who are in full fellowship with Him and with one another. So when we order our marriages and order our families according to the principles God has set forth in Scriptures, we're not obeying random made-up rules. We are participating in redeeming something God has made for His glory, and we're doing it by fulfilling His original plan. Since the fall, God has been always about the business of bringing His true family back into fellowship with Him. There's always been a true family of God throughout history comprised of those who know God through faith. And ever since the first members of that family, Adam and Eve, were put out of the garden, God has been about the business of restoring that family to a place of peace with Him and with each other. The final meeting place being the new earth. Well, at least that guy agrees with me. But, so we're going to look closely at the family. We're going to look at God's model. You know, and some of this might offend us. But that's okay. We need to be looking at his way and then confronted with our way. Right? We're all in the process of growing into the fullness of Jesus' way, not our way. So it's all in the family. God's plan for being known by love. And uh, so we have eight more weeks of this, and I want to encourage you to be praying for your family. For the family that you're a part of and for families that are in your community. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to divide up. We're going to talk about God's plan for for families, for like home units. We're going to talk about um, some topics about parenting, and then we're also going to talk about the family of God, the, 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 the big capital F family. And so we're going to move in from, we're kind of laying out the next couple of weeks some like big picture God's ideals. And then we're going to move into uh, some growing pains. And there are some growing pains associated with families. We're going to look at what it looks like when there's sin in the family and what forgiveness looks like. What is true forgiveness? And we're going to look at restoration, the goal When sin breaks down and things end up broken, it's for there to be restoration. And what does that look like at home? And what does that look like at church? And after we're done talking about growing pains, we're going to look at some family ties. Family ties. And we're going to look at what it looks like to parent, be with kids in the home. We're going to look at being a grandparent. And look at the potential that's there and some of the weightiness of that role. We're going to look at what it looks like to parent adults. And so I'm excited, really. All in the family and growing pains and family ties. So 
Yeah, there's a little bit of an 80s theme there. You're right. But it's going to be fun. So let's go ahead and pray. And uh, the worship team is going to come up behind me, and we're going to move into a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to remember, just to, to glance back and to remember the big picture. And Lord, I pray that it would inspire us ultimately. And, and, and the fact that you've told us that you're still transforming us from glory to glory just really humbles us. Because there's, no, there's not a lot of wiggle room. God, you're, you're full of grace and you're full of truth. And ultimately, you are looking to transform us into your image, the image of your Son, so that we could put your love on display so that the world may know you. And that's our heart, Lord. That's our desire and our prayer. So God, those who speak over the next eight weeks, I pray that you would help us to lay out a foundation for marriage and family, and that you would stir us, Lord, to seek your way. In your name we pray. Amen.